This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. 2 Corinthians 13.5, I want to introduce the thoughts this morning. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul said, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, Prove yourselves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. You know, we're used to making examinations, all of us are, and we examine different things. Uh, I examine, for example, every time I get a bank statement each month, I take that statement and I examine that pretty carefully because if you're like me, sometimes you cut it a little close and you want to know if you're right with the bank. And I've done that meticulously now for years and years. I can go back probably 35 years, and I've got ledger books at home that have every check I've ever written for 35 years. That's just how meticulous I try to be with the checkbook. And uh, so I want to know if I'm right with the bank each month, and I make a regular examination. How many of you examine your automobiles? We do that all the time, don't we? We check the oil and grease levels and brake fluids and different things because if we don't keep that maintained, we're, we could get in an accident, we could destroy lives or property, and besides that, as expensive as equipment is these days in automobiles, we want to maintain them properly where they'll last and we can drive them perhaps as long as we can. So we make regular examinations. Many of you go to doctors on a regular basis and you wouldn't think to not do that because you're concerned about health. And you have those regular examinations. Some of us don't go so much, and we should. But a lot of people do. They're very concerned. And we hear, for example, about warning signs for cancer. We hear of the seven signs. Let's look at them there in the outline there, about the third paragraph. We're told, number one, that any unusual bleeding from body openings could be a sign. Two, a lump or thickening in the breast. Three, a sore that doesn't heal. Four, a persistent change in bowel or bladder habits. Five, lasting indigestion or difficulty in swallowing. Six, a persistent cough or hoarseness. Seven, a change in a ward or a mole on the body. I'm sure there are other signs, but there are seven signs that could be an indication of cancer. And people read those signs and they get a little nervous. You know, we get to thinking, you know, do I have some of those? Should I get an examination? Should I look further? And I wonder how carefully we examine ourselves spiritually. What kind of problems might there be in our life spiritually? Do we, do we put more emphasis on earthly things, on maintaining cars or checkbooks, or worried about our health and maybe we do the health of our, of our soul? Shouldn't we not make examinations? Isn't that really what Paul said in the text? Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Now that's an individual commandment to each one of us. It's not up to me to examine you, and I'm not here this morning to examine your life. I'm here this morning to lead us in a study on this and to admonish us to do the examination of our own lives. You know, if we probably look at ourselves, we've got enough problems with ourselves without trying to correct them and everybody else. So I'm not here to correct your problems or judge you or look at you, but to, but to study this subject with you and encourage you to be honest, to make these examinations thoroughly and regularly and sincerely, 
You know, it's difficult sometimes to admit when we've got problems. It is for me. And maybe it's that way for you. And, and uh, it just takes a degree of humility and, and such things to, to admit, hey, I just made a mistake. I've been wrong on this or that. And yet we've got to be willing to do that. And when we're wrong and when we've committed sin, we just need to get out of it and correct it. And so let's, let's think about ourselves this morning. Examine yourselves. I'm going to give you seven warning signs that you might be dying spiritually, that you might be sick and on the way to death. I think there are Christians that are dying. I think there are Christians already dead. And uh, perhaps we can head that off in our own lives by making examinations. Number one, you're dying spiritually if the story of the cross doesn't move you. And you know, to a lot of people, the cross has no sentiment. It, it just doesn't touch them. To a lot of people, when you preach the cross of Jesus, that's foolishness to them. And Paul talked about how that would be the case. Read there with me on the inside. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 24. Paul said, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the cross then to some people is a stumbling block, to others it's just foolishness. And you know, you talk about how Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross to save us from our sins and shed His blood. This is just a, this is a fairy tale to a lot of people. Just foolish talking. And the Bible says it would be that way, but I'm going to tell you it wasn't foolish to the man from Ethiopia. Remember the eunuch in Acts 8? You see, Isaiah in chapter 53 had talked about the death of Jesus, about this Messiah that would come and that would suffer, that would bear our sins, bear our iniquities, and that He would uh, be led as a sheep to the slaughter and such things. Let's look at Acts 8 verse 26. Philip's up in Samaria. Now a man has ridden a chariot out of Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem. He's come hundreds of miles. Why? Because there at the temple you can worship God. And there at the temple animal sacrifices are offered. And this man probably has a sense of guilt. He has sinned as all of us have. He needs a remedy for his sins. And how sincere is he about getting rid of his sins? So sincere that he'll ride a chariot out of Ethiopia. That he'll literally travel for weeks and weeks at four miles an hour in an old rough chariot and have to stop along the road perhaps at night and sleep on the ground and cook his meals the best he can or eat the bread maybe that he's brought that'll last for a while. Carries a lot of water, no doubt. This man has come prepared for a long journey. His sins are probably eating him up and he's filled with guilt. And he believes if I can get to Jerusalem and have some sacrifices made, I can get rid of my sin. And he's come for that very purpose. God sees here an honest man that if he will get the gospel to him, this man will accept it and obey it. And he sends a preacher to him by the name of Philip. Acts 8 and 26, if you're reading. 
the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, or Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Now here's the quote from Isaiah 53. Here's what he was reading. Remember, the New Testament's not been written yet. All he has is Old Testament writings. And he's reading the most appropriate chapter in the whole Bible for him, this section about Jesus, because the whole chapter is about Christ. The place of the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. You see, this is the story of the cross, isn't it? And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now that's what he's sitting there reading. And the eunuch said unto Philip, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Who's Isaiah talking about, he asked? About himself or is he speaking about somebody else that was led as a sheep to the slaughter? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What would he have preached when he preached Jesus? He would have preached his life and death, his, his miracles, his resurrection. He would have preached the shedding of his blood. He would have taught him how we're justified by that blood, how we're washed from our sins by that blood. He would have presented to him a suffering Messiah that was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And this story had an impact on that man. Because verse 36 says, As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You see, now he's rejoicing. He's not, he's not concerned about his sins, because now he's heard the story of the cross. He's heard about Jesus. He's come to faith in Christ. He's confessed that he believes he's the Christ, the Son of God. He's obeyed Jesus in baptism. He's had his sins washed away. And now the preacher's been caught up through the air by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse 40 that Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And now this eunuch, this Ethiopian man, goes on his way back home, having heard the story of the cross. You see, it moved him. But to a lot of people today, the cross doesn't move them. They can't weep over Calvary. They just can't. You can preach how Jesus was slapped and crowned with thorns and spit on. doesn't touch them. 
You can talk about how they pierced his hands and feet, how they took whips and tore the flesh up all over his back, and then forced him to carry a, a heavy wooden rough beam, cross beam, on those lacerated wounds on his shoulders and back. And he couldn't do it. He fell under the weight of it. But that doesn't bother them. They can't weep about it. It doesn't touch them. And if the story of the cross doesn't move you and I, there's something wrong with us. We're dying spiritually. There's nothing like the cross. Number two, you're dying spiritually if you've left your first love, and that first love is Christ. Yes, He's the first love. In Revelation 2 and 4, you know, Jesus talked about the church there at uh, Ephesus. He said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. These are Christians. This is a, a congregation there at Ephesus who had left the first love that they had. And I want to ask each one of you that are Christians here today to think back on the, on the day when you were baptized or the night. And uh, I want you to think about how you felt. Wasn't your heart just bursting with love for Christ? You remember that? I can remember going out. Uh, Julie would have been a little bitty girl. I'd go out on the driveway at night and lay on the car, look up at the stars, and just talk to the Lord, tell Him how I loved Him and things like this. There was just such a closeness. You remember how it was when you became a Christian? How your heart was just filled with love like that for Jesus. That's how it needs to be. He's to be the first love of your life. More so than your wife or husband or children or anyone else. Parents. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 39. Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword, for I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So Jesus says, you've got to love me first. You've got to love me more than anyone. Father, mother, son, daughter, mother-in-law, father-in-law, friends, whoever it be. You may be quite in love with your spouse, but the Lord expects you to love him more. He wants you to love your wife or your husband, but he wants you to love him first. He is to be the first love of our life. And I wonder how many of us, have, if any, have left our first love. What does Jesus mean to you today? I think some people lose that initial love they have, and they, they begin to serve God more from habit. It's habit to get up and go to church sometimes. It's just, it's habit to do this or that. And the Lord wants that to be from a heart full of love for Him, because really, you'll get no great Christian living I want you to understand this. The great Christian lives that you'll read about in the Bible were lived by people who really genuinely loved the Lord and believed that 
the Lord had done more for them than they could possibly ever do for Him. And they were willing to give their homes, their fortunes, their very lives for the service of Jesus. And they, they just figured that, you know what, even giving all that, I haven't given near enough as to what He's given me. And that's the kind of love that the Lord wants from us. Have you left your first love this morning? Are you in process of leaving Him? What does He mean to you? Let me just put it this way. Let me ask you this question. As you think about your heart, and I can't read that heart. I can only look at myself. It, would you say that your love today for Jesus is more fervent than when you were baptized? Remember how you loved the Lord when you obeyed the gospel? How would you, how would you say your, your love is toward Christ right now? More than when you were baptized? Because if it's the same or less, you've left your first love or are in process of leaving. And that takes a lot of honesty to admit if, if that's our problem. That was what was wrong with the church at Ephesus. And I hope it'll never be our problem. Because if you've left your first love, you're dying spiritually. Number three, you are dying spiritually if you're bored by church services. If church services bore you. Now we're commanded to assemble. Hebrews 10, let's look at it again, verse 24, 25. The Bible says, let us consider one another. It's a considerate thing to go to church. And here's, here's what he means by that. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So when we come to these assemblies, that's what we do. We provoke each other. We stir each other up to love, to love more, and to do good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So there's a commandment we have to assemble. Now, the Lord's commandments are not grievous. They're not difficult. They're not burdensome. 1 John 5 and 3. The Bible says this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. It should never be a grudge. It should never be a grief to do something that Jesus said do. It may not be popular. The world may not accept it. Our family may not like it. They may not accept it. But when Christ commands something, then that ought to be a joy to do it. And going to church ought to be a joy. And I, I wonder if, if it really is for some Christians, because where many times a congregation will have evening services, you'll see a lot of times people that won't go. And sometimes you'll see that on morning services, where people just won't, they just won't attend. If there's something else they want to do. They will go and do that, and they're not bothered by that. I wonder, as we think about our love for church and for assembling and everything, do you sit and wonder sometimes, when are we going to have the closing prayer? Sometimes I think, sometimes I think people may do that. How long is that idiot going to preach? <laughs> you know, or something like this. When's he going to sit down? And I've noticed, you know what, we don't do that when we're doing things we enjoy. Did you ever go deer hunting and say, when in the world is the sun going to set? 
where I can get down off this stand. I'm wanting that sun to stay just as long as it'll stay. Just give me that last light, because maybe that big boy will walk out and I'll get him. See. You ever gone to a ball game and sat there and said, when is this going to be over? Now you may if your team's getting massacred. I can understand that. But as a general rule, when, we, when we're really doing something we enjoy, we don't wish for it to end early, do we? We don't worry about overtime if it's a good ball game. We love a good overtime game. I've noticed a lot of people don't like a good overtime in church. But there are others that do. The church services bore you. Some people say, well, I don't get much out of church. You know, sometimes we've got to bring something to get it in. If you're gathering water, you've got to have a bucket. And if you're going to come to church and get things out of it, you've got to bring a mind to get it in. You've got to want, you've got to hunger and thirst for something. And usually I have, uh, I've listened to some pretty bad speakers. I'm, I'm sure I was one of them and have been at times. May still be, I don't know. But uh, I've never failed to learn something from nearly any speaker I ever heard. Because I'll take the Bible and when he gives a scripture, I'll open it and I'll read it with him. And he may not bring a point out, but I may see a point in that verse I never noticed before. And I've had some of the weakest speakers that you can imagine bring me some great points just by virtue of a scripture they brought up that maybe they didn't even give the point. But when I looked at it with them, I got something I'd never seen before, and it was worth the whole lesson. See. And so when we're, when we're in church and all, I study with the, with the one that's speaking and pay attention, and you'll get some thoughts. A lot of times you'll meditate on something that speaker says, and something will really dawn upon you that you've never noticed before. And I know with Ben and David and others are probably like me, I've gotten sermon ideas from maybe sometimes the weakest speaker. He said something that spurred a thought. And maybe he didn't give me the very thought I had, but he led me to think about something. And I profited from it. If church services bore us, if we're failing to attend, that's a warning sign. We're dying spiritually. Number four, you're dying spiritually if you have little concern for other people. Are you concerned about the souls of those that are lost? Let me ask that first. How concerned are you? I want to call you back to the time when you were saved, when you obeyed the gospel. Uh, didn't you talk to people around you? I remember when I obeyed the gospel, I felt like I could teach the truth to anybody I saw, no matter what church they attended. I was just sure I could make them see what I had seen about salvation. Because I wasn't raised up in the church. I didn't know the truth. I didn't know you had to be baptized to be forgiven of sin. I didn't know that. I had done something else when I was a young boy, thinking for years that I was saved and when I wasn't. Then I learned the truth, and I thought, man, I can, I can show this to anybody. That is so simple. And you know what? It is if they'll listen. But I found out a lot of people didn't want to listen. But I just kept teaching. And I remember being there at the office. I worked for ABF Freight System there in Fort Smith. 
and uh, worked for them about eight years in their office, in their general office. And I had converted two people uh, out of the office there that worked with me and tried to study with several others that wouldn't study. And I got to where all I wanted to do was talk the Bible to them every day. And I thought, Pat, you either need to work here or quit and start trying to teach the Bible. And so I decided that I would quit and go into preaching. And I did that. And I've never been sorry about that decision, even though I lost a, a little bit of income and things like that over it and some benefits for older age and things that I could have had with that good company. But that's okay. I'm, I'm fine. I've been fine through the years. And we haven't always had everything we needed. At, at times it was a little difficult, but it's been okay. And I'd go back and do it over. But do you remember when you first obeyed and how you burned with the, with the desire to, to just teach people around you? Do you still have that desire? Or has it been a while since you've tried to teach somebody, either a neighbor or a family member or somebody at work? Has it been a while since you've really tried to set up a study with somebody? Are you concerned about those that are lost? Do we really understand that if we don't take the word to people, they don't know the truth? And that if we don't tell them the truth, they're going to go through life missing it. They're going to die and face Christ in the judgment and they're going to be lost. And these are people that are going to go to hell forever. People we knew, people that we were around every day. Remember the old song, You Never Mentioned Him to Me? I've thought about how many people at judgment I may stand beside that I didn't mention Christ to. And the song says, You never mentioned Him to me. You helped me not the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet never mentioned Him to me. That's a powerful message in that song. So are we trying to, to teach other people some think, well, maybe that's the job for preachers or that's for church leaders. Let them do it. And so they don't talk to anybody. But in Luke 19 and 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the very mission of Jesus. And if we are a follower of Christ, which is what a disciple means, the word disciple means learner or follower, then if we're going to follow Jesus, what was His number one mission? Seeking and saving the lost. What should be ours? Seeking and saving the lost. Same thing. Number two, if we're uh, concerned for others, how about their physical needs? There's a lot of scripture about helping people. You know, sometimes God prospers us in ways that we just have extra money. And there are people in the church and people about us that don't. They're, they're down on their luck right now. They've had sickness or they're just having difficult times. And sometimes we don't have abundance, but sometimes we do. And the Bible teaches us to share with others. To not lay our assets up for ourselves. Not when others need us. James 1 and 27, pure religion. And undefiled before God and the fathers this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, 
and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now that doesn't always mean giving somebody money. It may mean a visit, to visit the fatherless and widows, but it means more than just to go see them. It means to minister to their needs. And the scriptures abound with verses that teach us that. First John 3, I want you to read with me verse 14 to 18. John says, We know we pass from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Here perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, listen, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's don't just tell people I love you. Let's love them and let's show them we do. Beloved, if we are not concerned for the lost and if we're not concerned for those about us that have needs that we can, that we can minister to, there's something wrong with us. We're dying spiritually. Number five, you're dying spiritually this morning if you love the things of the world. Now I'm not talking about taking a vacation. I'm not talking about enjoying some fishing or a ball game or just doing something for pleasure every now and then. I'm talking about just giving yourself over to things. In 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not any. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're living in a pleasure-mad world right now. I mean, people are caught up in everything just trying to have a good time all the time. I mean, they, they join all kinds of clubs and associations and, and things, and, and a lot of them are out just continually, out every night, out all they can be, involved in something. They don't have time for study. They don't have time to, to go take the word to somebody else because their lives are caught up in pleasure. They're hung up on video games. They're hung up on the internet. People are just cluttering up their lives with all kinds of things, and they're, they're seeking pleasures. Everybody wants to be happy. But we've got to learn that pleasures just won't bring you permanent happiness. I want you to think back on vacations you've taken. Weren't they great at the time? You had a wonderful time, but how are they how are they going to be in the morning when you get up and go to work? They're not going to see us through a day, are they? A poet once said that pleasures are like uh, poppies. She had they you, you squeeze the, the bloom and the petals are all shed. It's just they're gone. They're like bubbles on a river. They're here and then gone forever. Pleasures don't last. They don't satisfy. You can watch a good ball game, but you know what? In a few days, it's gone. Everybody enjoyed the hogs yesterday. 
great wind. Won't do us much good tomorrow. These are just fleeting pleasures. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 and 6 concerning young widows, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. It's talking about being spiritually dead. If you live in pleasure, you're dead spiritually while you live. While you live physically. See, that's the, the idea. And a lot of people are caught up in their work. They're caught up in sports. They're caught up in pleasure. They're caught up in money. They're caught up in, in the, the web. They're caught up in every kind of thing you can imagine. And when we find satisfaction in the things of this world continually, we're dying spiritually. It's a warning sign. Number six, you are dying spiritually if you're failing to study and pray. Studies commanded, 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we've got a lot of scripture about study. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 and 2, Peter said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. John 5, 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. Psalm 1, David said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly is not so, but is like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So here's the man that prospers. He's the one that meditates in God's Word day and night. And David said he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit. If you've been out west and you've seen some of that old dry country, you look along the drainages out there. You'll see a tree line. Those trees are where there's water. And they're fruitful. Everything else around them is kind of dead. But that tree that's planted by the rivers of water brings forth fruit, see. And that's the idea of the man that meditates or the woman that meditates in the Word of God. They're fruitful. So we're commanded to study. We're also commanded to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. Hebrews 4 verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain obtain mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Peter 5 and 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Passage after passage talks about prayer and the, the value of communicating with God. And if we're failing to study, and to pray as we should, it's a warning sign 
that we're dying spiritually. Think about your prayer life. Think about your study habits and how much time you spend. Number seven, if you and I are failing to repent of our sins, that's a warning sign that we're dying. Because if we're aware of sin but we don't repent, then we're going to die. We're ultimately going to die. Some say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to fix things one day. Someday I'll get things right. But the Bible says in James 4.17 that uh, when we know to do His will and do it not, to him it's sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so to know that we've got problems and failed to correct, just adds to it. If we had cancer, would we seek a cure? Or would we say, I'll fix that someday? Now someday I'm going to get that taken care of. Well, we couldn't wait to get to a doctor, could we? But sin's something worse than cancer. And of course, if we had cancer, we'd seek the cure. How about the cure for sin? You know, sin kills us and, and uh, in fact, if a person is an unbeliever, they're already dead. The Bible says they are. Jesus says they are. John says they are. John 3 and 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The unbeliever is already condemned. He's on death row. See, that's basically what the Bible says. But there's a cure. He doesn't have to die. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. A person can believe in Christ, obey Him in baptism, and be forgiven. And then they'll be alive spiritually and can start a life with Him. And a dying Christian can repent and turn from it and confess it. In John 5, or James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. There's the healing, see. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if we're failing to repent, it's a warning sign that we're dying spiritually. 2 Corinthians 13 again, verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, now that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. I hope this study today has helped us think about our own lives a little bit, to maybe examine ourselves, as the passage says. Not each other, but our own lives. And if you're here today and you need to become a Christian, we can help you do that. We want to do that. We can help you find forgiveness. And God will give you a clean start. He'll wipe your past all out. He'll forgive every bit of it. He'll never bring it up again. And when you die and face Jesus in judgment, that, that will never come up. You can do that by believing in Him and obeying the gospel. If you're here today as a Christian and you need help with a problem for sin, we can help you with that. We'd be glad to pray with you, to talk with you, to set up a study with you, any way we could help.
And so we'll have an invitation song and we'll sing the first and last verse of this song that's selected and ask you to come and have a seat at the front if you need to while we rise and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.